Thank you. Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience. Today, breaking new ground. XFL season preview. Maybe some strategy on the betting side. Talk through the DraftKings a little bit and the league in particular. Because frankly, I don't know much about the... My biggest experience with the XFL was when I was in like the ninth grade or maybe like the, a freshman in high school that... I had the XFL ball when it first came out and it had that gel in it that would make it stick to your hand. As someone with like carny hands that, you know, it finds it hard to grip a football. Perfect ball for chucking in the back here. Very soft to catch, too. So hopefully, I don't know what the new ball looks like. I would assume it's the same. Probably not, though. But hey, if you can go buy that XFL ball for like your child or adult with small size hands, boom. Very easy on them. Either way, if you want to get into a draw for 100 DraftKings dollars, here's what you do. Subscribe to the Pat Mayo Experience audio podcast. Leave a five-star review, DraftKings handle, and something you enjoy about this show, and boom, you're in that draw for 100 DK bucks. You want to get into a draw for 20 DraftKings dollars, smash the like button for the video. Leave your DraftKings handle in the comment section and tell me who you think is going to be the winning team of the XFL championship in the inaugural season. Joining me to break this all down because I have no fucking idea what's going on. Sean Newsham at PSU Fans 2 on Twitter from EstablishTheRun.com. If you want to get a XFL insight at EstablishTheRun.com, go use, uh, just put in Mayo 20 and tell them that Mayo sent you and, you know, so few people are actually doing this stuff that you might want to get some inside edge because Sean, we were just discussing this briefly off air that you are sort of like the king of being good at daily fantasy sports where people don't really know much about it. Like you said, there's no optimizers. There's nothing like that. It's just the research that you do honing in on the right things. This this is your wheelhouse. Yeah. Anytime I can funnel out noise and I can sort of hone in on what key plays are and where I need to go, I generally do really well. Preseason is a great example. We had a great time over established run during the preseason and hopefully we can continue it during the XFL season because the XFL season is double the size of the preseason. So double the size, double the fun, hopefully. And it seems like they've actually put up some pretty decent contests for at least week one of the XFL. We'll see how that goes as the season moves along. Yeah, I saw that uh, FanDuel had a 300K and DraftKings had a 350K. And actually, I'm pretty sure DraftKings was going to go smaller than that. And FanDuel went much bigger than was anticipated, which forced DraftKings to show up and do something as well. So for me, especially uh, when I look at the preseason, the biggest contest in the preseason, I think, was a 200K. And then they had a bunch of 100Ks. So right now, this is already bigger than what the NFL preseason was. And even if it maintains about 40 to 50% of what it is right now, it'll be a very playable sport and it will have a very playable GPP every single week that has a 20 to $30,000 top prize, if not bigger. Well, you were one of the only people that I saw talk about this. I mean, there was a, there were some grumblings on Twitter about the style of game that DraftKings was putting out for the XFL, because originally it was set up a lot like Showdown, but now it just seems like it's reverted back to normal. Yeah, so what they were doing, it was it was sort of weird. And the way that I looked at it is they were just dumbing it down and basically half-assing it and not really putting in the effort. So they were doing a showdown-style roster construction where it was a captain and five players, and that's it for eight games. So the problem with that is if you look at the week one pricing, which is going to be difficult because week one, there's a lot of uncertainty going on with it. But 
you could play five quarterbacks with ease with one of them in quarterback and probably play a top two receiver on a given team. And that was your lineup, which just isn't that much fun. If you can play a line where you're literally just playing all the quarterbacks and you're not sacrificing anything, it just doesn't make sense to me. So what they did is they changed it and they added in a normal ish type of roster construction. Uh, what they did it from normal NFL style is they removed the tight end, put a flex in for that. And for the wide receiver three, they put in a flex for that. And there basically is no flex. So it gives you the ability to play players when with the original construction that they had, it was a big issue. You really couldn't make a reasonable case in cash or really in a lot of tournament options to play anyone other than quarterbacks, because it just didn't make sense. So what was going to win GPPs every week was going to be maybe a one or two receiver staff with a quarterback and then all quarterbacks. So you couldn't really justify playing a guy like Sammy Coates or Rashad Ross or Mikhail McKay because they were the same price as a quarterback who's going to throw the ball 40 times a game and run 10. So it just didn't make much sense to be playing a guy like that. So the actual roster positions on DraftKings right now, one quarterback, one running back, two receivers, two flex, and a defense. So I, you probably don't need to worry too much, especially with an eight-team slate every single week about any dupes or anything like that, right? Um, I think there'll still be some duplicates as the season goes along. I think in week one, there won't be as many duplicates because no one really knows exactly what's going on. Uh, for example, the highest price receiver on the slate, Rashad Ross, we believe is going to be the fourth receiver on his team. But a lot of people are going to view his price and think that he's the number one receiver for DC, but we don't believe that to be the case. So it's a situation where I think in week one, there's going to be a lot of uncertainty, which will create there to be a lot of differentials and lineups. But as the season goes, it's going to be just like every other sport. You're going to see teams that don't rotate running backs, that don't rotate receivers, that are maybe going to utilize running backs more. And therefore, there's going to be more clear plays as the season goes along. But I think for the beginning of the season, we're going to see a lot of differentials and lineups. So if you're very confident in your research, would week one be the week to not necessarily go all in on the budget that you have for XFL for the season, but it's probably going to be the easiest week if you think you have a clue about some of the outcomes and even just who's playing, like you mentioned. Yeah, I think week one, if you are correct and you think you know what you're doing and your reads are right. So, for example, if that Rashad Ross play comes through and he's the fourth receiver on a team and he's the max price player, he's going to be heavily owned because the pricing is reasonably soft just due to the fact that you can find one or two players who are probably underpriced on top of the depth chart. So if you all of a sudden find that and then you don't know that news about Rashad Ross, you're probably going to play a guy like Rashad Ross because he's a known commodity. He's played in the NFL. He's had great preseasons in the NFL. However, based on the news that we have, I wouldn't be recommending someone like Rashad Ross. But if you're wrong, you're going to look very foolish. But I think going in with week one, if you're confident with what you've done and you know what you're doing, it's going to be a great week. I find it hard to believe that either site is going to fill their big GPPs. So you're going to have a situation where I think both sites are going to overlay their big GPP. So that's something where you want to be partaking in as much as you can. So if we just talk about very briefly on DC, if it's not Richard Ross, does that mean it's going to be like Eli Rogers, the guy you want to target? Or do you just play like Cardell Jones by himself, knowing he has that rushing upside as well? Yeah, we are under the assumption going in that DeAndre Tompkins is actually their number one receiver. Okay. So if you look, DeAndre Tompkins is priced at 4,600. So all of a sudden, if you're correct on something like this, Rashad Ross is 10.4, DeAndre Tompkins is 4.6, and he's the number one, and Rashad Ross is either the three or four, 
that's a massive edge. Also, we think Malachi Dupree is the number two receiving option. So right there, you have a situation where even in GPPs, let's say you really like DC going into this week, you can play Cardale Jones. You can stack him with what we believe to be his two top receiving options. And if you do those three things, all of a sudden the week becomes a very close to pick them slate because they're very cheap at the receiver spot. Do you think that any tight end in the XFL will be worth using in your flex, or is it just better off to use running backs and receivers? I think that they may be worthwhile, but they have to be priced correctly. Um, It's a situation where we just don't know how they're going to be used. And some teams don't even have tight ends or have one, if not any. So you look down at Nick Truesdale, who was a first round pick in the XFL draft. He's priced at 6,900. He's very similarly priced to these other receiving options. So for me personally, I'm going to steer clear of the tight ends probably for the beginning of the season, just because I think I can get more consistency from receivers than I can out of tight ends. And I'm just not sure how some of these teams are going to use their tight ends. All right, well, let's talk about the odds just a little bit because uh, I chucked down some money on the St. Louis Battlehawks because I enjoy the name Battlehawks. And I just figure that since no one really has a grasp on who's going to be good and who's not going to be good, taking an absolute no-nothing flyer, because, you know, I need to get my action down, on teams with long odds, you know, who knows if they're actually 10 to 1 to win. They could be 2 to 1 to win. I mean, I have no idea. Maybe you have a much better grasp on this. But the overall odds right now for the xfl the dallas renegades are three to one tampa bay four to one new york guardians four and a half to one dc defenders six to one la wildcats six and a half to one houston roughnecks seven and a half to one st louis battlehawks 10 to one and the seattle dragons 11 to one that's a change because you know for a while st louis was the team with the longest odds at 10 to one like did anything seem out of whack to you by that or is it just like hey we don't know so let's kind of stay away I think it's a lot more of that. Um, It's something we talked about before going on, actually. So the AAF, which was the previous football league that is now defunct, debuted last year. At the beginning of their season, they came out with totals in Vegas for games, and their totals were in the low 50s because they thought the league was going to be high scoring and produce more points. By week four or five, those totals dropped to about 38, 39 because – it just wasn't happening what the league was happening. So if you look at the betting odds for the individual games this week, there's no betting totals for the individual games. I don't think Vegas really knows what's going to happen in this league, and they don't really know what's going to happen with the betting odds coming in. So they're just sort of not doing them. So with that in mind, I think that the way Vegas is looking at it is they're sort of just don't really know what is going to happen with this league. So I think if I were to be placing bets on one of these teams in a season winning championship type bet, I would look at the long odds because those are more of the unknowns. And what's happening is with Vegas, not knowing any of these teams, one of the teams that's 11 to one could be the best team in the league. It's different than what you'll see in the NFL because there's a lot more known commodities with the NFL. Whereas right now with this XFL season, nobody knows who's going to be good. And it happened in the AAF. Going into the year, there was what people thought would be better teams. And then by about the midpoint of the season, there were one or two teams that were clearly superior than the rest. But going into the season, that was not known. I think something like that will happen in the XFL. But it could very easily be one of the longer teams to win compared to one of the shorter teams. 
So, and one of the big things, if you would bet anything future-wise in the AAF, I don't even know how the books actually reconcile that. I assume they gave everyone their money back that bet someone out on an overall winner. But you and I both kind of agree that the XFL likely has enough funds to at least get through the first season and then reevaluate everything from there. Even the TV deals that they have, they seem to be on every major network. That That's probably good enough to get them through, I would think. Yeah, that's something that I'm very optimistic about this league. All of their games are on major networks. Uh, you have ESPN, you have Fox. Now, granted, some of their games are on Fox Sports 1, and but these are major networks that this contract is through. So I think that it's very likely that the league gets through one season and then reassesses. I think it would be very, very bad if this league wasn't going to last at least one year. And Vince McMahon he had wanted to restart the XFL for years. I feel like he would not have restarted the league until he was certain that it could make it for at least a year. I think it would be a big issue with him if it didn't get through a year. So for me, I think it definitely is going to get through one year. Um, but I am optimistic for the league. I think that it has a lot of great TV deals. And I think that it could play well with the NFL, especially the time of the year it's on. There's really not much going on. If you're not into the NBA or the NHL, and even those seasons, it's coming towards the end of the year, there's not much going on right now. And especially with the way Americans love football, this is your only option to get football at this time of the year. Yeah, and unlike something almost like the CFL, which kind of mixes into the season. And then you have, it's not necessarily the different rules, but it's the size of the ball, the size of the field. There's 12 guys on the field, not 11 guys from the field. At least the XFL, could it function almost like it's an NFL Europe type of deal where guys are fine to go? Like I even saw that there's like a ninth team in the XFL full of practice squad players that someone else is coaching just in case people need to step in for injuries on some of these other teams. Or if these guys play super well in the XFL, I'm a, a la Tommy Maddox last time around. And I'm like, hey, maybe this guy, maybe Cardell Jones does deserve a second chance as a starter somewhere. It's definitely a really good, in my opinion, potential feeder to the NFL. The way that this season is going to work, it's going to run right up this week until the middle to end of April. What happens in the middle to end of April? the NFL draft teams are looking to add players into their league and into their teams. If a player comes in and has a really strong performance in the XFL, they're going to get looks at the NFL. And what happens is, is they're at a perfect time when the XFL season starts. That's right. When stuff's going to start picking up for the NFL season. So I think it works as a perfect feeder. If someone comes in, let's say Cardell Jones comes in and has a very strong XFL campaign. There's virtually no chance that a team doesn't take a look at someone with his tools that had a successful season and be like, Hey, should we put in some stock into this guy potentially being a serviceable player for us? And this is the thing is after college, there's not really a chance to get tons of game time. This is a chance to get game time. If a guy comes in and a cornerback's a shutdown cornerback in this league, it, I'm going to feel really hard pressed to find that, that guy doesn't get a chance on an NFL roster come training camp time. How much do you think your knowledge of both college football and playing college football daily fantasy is going to factor into sort of the stuff that's going to fall between the lines of this league, where you have someone like me who's going to read some content, establishtherun.com, code Mayo20, by the way, uh, where you have updated depth charts, that kind of thing. That's one thing, but the actual, oh, I know, you know the defenders on this team you know, from my experience with them are going to be better than maybe they're being evaluated as, or this receiver is definitely going to be better than this guy. Do you think that plays a big factor in it? That, that knowledge that just so many people don't have. 
I think it definitely helps between the college football and the preseason. A lot of these guys have a lot of experience in those, those uh, situations. So it's a spot where I know what Cardell Jones is. I know what Aaron Murray is. I know what Jordan Tomu is. So it's guys like this where I have more knowledge on what they've done previously and what to expect from them. For example, Andre Williams is in this league. Uh, he's a running back. He played at Boston College, got some time in the NFL. He has some of the worst hands I have ever seen. He cannot catch a cold if it hit him in the face. So all of a sudden, this guy is in a league where it's we think it's going to be more of a pass-heavy league. We think it's going to trend towards the pass. If he can't catch it all, that means that they're either going to be a more run-oriented type of team or they're going to heavily use a different running back in pass-down situations because he's just not as capable of filling that role. So I think that having the extra ability in those two areas definitely gives me a leg up coming into the XFL season. Uh, where are you, are you looking in particular to find either, the, like, is it an assumption on the depth charts or are you following specific reporters that are actually covering this? We've been following different people on Twitter. Uh, I was actually talking with Adam Leviton last night and he was joking, but one of the guys that is putting out the depth charts, I believe it's for the Tampa Bay Vipers. I could be wrong. I don't remember off the top of my head, but he is a middle school teacher and he is a WWE columnist. And that's who's providing the depth charts for these teams. So really the only way right now to find information is by finding these off the beaten path beat reporters who are putting out some tidbits of information. And really all you can go off of at this point of the year is you can go off of the draft capital that was spent on players, uh, the trade value that was put on players, and then tidbits of information that is being put on players via beat writers, via the team's websites, via the scrimmage notes that they had. We do believe that there will be full depth charts for all the teams coming out in the next day or two, but we're not certain of that. But the best way to prepare is look up Twitter. Uh, yesterday, I spent a couple hours looking up on Twitter. I was just Twitter searching players' names and seeing what's going on with them, if there's been any rumblings about them from any source because right now all you can go off of is any piece of information is better than no information and then you just have to dissect and see if it's valid or not do you think i mean we do you think there's going to be a higher scoring league than the aaf like if the totals came out would you imagine that this is a higher scoring league or a lower scoring league i think it would be closer to the beginning of the aaf season than the end and I think that the rules set up better for more offensive abilities. Plus, I think that special teams is going to be a bit different and it's going to be, uh, it's going to set teams up with better field position than what happens in the NFL and what happened in the AAF. So players cannot move on kickoffs or punts until the ball is caught. So I think that the punt returns are going to set people up with better field position, as well as you cannot really kick the ball out of bounds and if you do, you get penalized with great field position for the opponent. So I think we're going to see much better field position in this league that's going to propel the points up. And I think that the lower play clock, and there's going to be a few things that tend towards higher scoring. The coaches have communication to players at all times. Uh, in the NFL, the coaches can talk to the quarterback up until – I believe it's 15 seconds before the play starts. I could be wrong on the time frame, but in the XFL, the communication is done towards every player individually. So I think that could be a massive advantage. If a team has a good coaching staff, the teams can line up immediately, not huddle 
and a team could see right away at the line of scrimmage a mismatch or an option that they should go with. He doesn't need to call an audible. He can just get communication to all of his players at one time. And I think that really could help the offense. Uh, if we talk about players in particular, especially for week one, when we're assessing quarterbacks and the teams to load up on, you can go off the spreads uh, for the lines that are out. Like, for example, Dallas is favored by eight and a half points at home against Seattle or against St. Louis. Are you really buying the eight and a half? Like, would this be a week for gambling wise just to take all of the underdogs, just not knowing what these teams are? I would probably this week take all of the underdogs. And I would probably honestly just bet money lines on a lot of the underdogs. For example, Dallas is an eight point fa- eight and a half point favorite, but Landry Jones is questionable leaning towards not playing. So all of a sudden you take out the guy who was supposed to be the face essentially of the XFL and he is no longer playing. It's hard for me to believe that they're an eight and a half point favorite over a different team in the league. Um, so for me, I think that betting the underdogs and even betting the underdog money line is a great way to go about this week. Uh, there's a lot of question marks going into this week, especially at quarterback. Um, you have the Landry Jones issue with him possibly being out. Josh Johnson's questionable. We just found that out yesterday. He is leaning towards not playing at all. Um, you have Jordan Tom, who was named the starter late. And you have Brandon Silvers was named the starter late. P.J. Walker is going to be starting over Connor Cook, which was unexpected. So all of a sudden, you have five big question marks at quarterback that weren't expected to be there going into week one. So if we're picking our quarterback for week one on XFL on DraftKings, are we looking for a stack with two receivers to maximize that output or take one of these guys that we might expect to run a lot? I think that you could do both. I think you could take a guy that you expect to run a lot. And I think that you could take possibly two receivers. I think you could do either option. Um, What I would stay away from is I would stay away from the Seattle team, for example. Uh, They're coached by Jim Zorn. And it looks like they're going to be more of a rushing offense compared to the other teams. In my opinion, I think this league is going to skew more towards the CFL than any other league in terms of what they do. So that means we're going to see a lot more pass heavy attacks. So if a team skews more heavily towards run compared to the pass, and let's say it's a 10% difference, that's a drastic amount of uh, differential in terms of passing downs than you would see on a different team. So you look at that Seattle team and they have Brandon Silvers. He's not a very mobile quarterback. He's a big pocket passer. I would rather play other guys than him that are in more pass-happy offenses because I think you're going to get more offense out of them. And he's not mobile, so you really aren't going to expect tons from him. I kind of like Jordan Tomu a bit. He has some offensive abilities in terms of throwing the ball. He didn't do tons with good weapons in college at Ole Miss, but he is mobile and can run. He had about 350 yards and six touchdowns on the ground Uh, his last year in college. So I think that he could be there. And P.J. Walker is starting over Connor Cook. We expect that to be a total air raid offense. And P.J. Walker has some mobility as well. And you get him as one of the cheaper quarterbacks on the slate. So I think that's solid. And then you have Johnson. He's got a hamstring issue. He's known to be a mobile quarterback and not the most accurate guy as it is. So when you factor in that he has a hamstring issue and he is 10.7 in the most expensive play on the slate – not necessarily someone I'm totally looking at. 
Uh, when you construct lineups the first time around, do you think that, I mean, you're probably going to play myriad lineups, but would you game stack a lot of these or just take a particular side? Like, would you want to do, you know, three players like PJ Walker, Sammy Coates, and let's say Khalil Lewis and have that as a stack for Houston and then bring it back with the running back on the other side or just say, hey, this is going to be a shootout game that you're okay taking wide receivers from both sides. Or would you try to divvy it up between the games and kind of give yourself more outs? So I think that I'd be fine doing a game stack. However, I think I would rather just go straight receivers if doing something like that. So the problem we're going to run into in this league in week one, I think it'll get cleared out after week one is there's very few running backs who I think are going to be extremely valid. Uh, it's the same thing in the CFL. If you look through the CFL over the years, there's generally a few running backs who are utilized and are ran a bit more heavily than other teams and they're utilized more in the passing game. So I think what we're going to find this year is that certain teams aren't going to use their running backs much, if at all. And it's going to be difficult to bring a game back with the stack with a running back. But I think you could do a quarterback and four receivers from one game with two receivers on each side. And that could be a great way to game stack. Um, if you end up using, like, I, I would assume that if Walker is now starting and he has mobility and this is expected, at least you think that it could be a very high volume air raid offense in terms of the air, that will he be like the super chalk quarterback or will people just not know this? I think people won't notice. And I think that there's really so much uncertainty that people will be spread out, especially at the quarterback position. Um, I think we're going to see a lot of spread between all these positions in week one where there's not really going to be any mass chalks unless people, unless there's news of something like DeAndre Tompkins is the number one receiver on a team and people decide that, okay, this is the stand I'm going to take at receiver to get my value. But otherwise, like I think people are going to play Mikhail McKay. People are going to play Sammy Coates. Uh, people are going to play PJ Walker. They're going to play Jordan Tomu. They're going to play Cardell Jones. So I think we're going to see a lot more of a spread in week, uh, in week one compared to other weeks. Uh, if, it, if it's so, if we do take Walker, do we pair him with Coates and Lewis? Is that what you're thinking for the depth chart for the Houston team at least? That is what we're thinking for the depth chart with uh, that team. We think that Coates is the one and Lewis is the two. And honestly, Sammy Coates is a great player. Uh, he was a third round draft pick for the Steelers in the NFL, and he's got a lot of speed to burn. So it's a situation where if you have a guy like that who has a ton of speed, it's definitely helpful, especially in what we expect to be a more of an offensive league. And then Khalil Lewis was a second round pick. So both of these guys were a second round, third round pick in the XFL as well as Coates being a top pick in the NFL draft. So with the fact that this team spent a decent amount of draft capital on these two, we think it's a good spot. And Walker is definitely a capable quarterback. He's played for the Colts in the preseason and has been okay. And he beat out Connor Cook, who is a guy that is a good passer. So if we think that Walker can handle that in a June Jones offense, which is basically going to be a four wide air raid offense, it's a good situation. And one of my favorite things with this team is if you look through most of the teams, uh, between receiver and tight ends, most of these teams have 10 to 12 options. This team only has seven receivers on the roster, and they don't even have a tight end. So other teams where there's question marks over who's going to play over who, you have more question marks. This team, there's really only seven guys. So if you're playing a four-wide receiver set every single down, 
there's only so many players that can play anyways. So I think that Coates and Lewis possess a lot less risk in terms of playing time, not necessarily catching and targets, but in terms of playing time, I think Coates and Lewis will possess a lot less risk than if you look at some of these other teams where there's 10 to 12 options in the receiving positions. So how do we try to assess running back in this? Like there's only one spot to fill on drafting. So I guess that's a bonus, but like, do you just go with the names that, you know, like you mentioned Jim Zorn in Seattle is probably going to run a very run heavy offense, but do you want to go that route? Or are you just like, Hey, give me Christine Michael. I know him. He's been on every team in the NFL. I think it's definitely a way to go. Uh, So for example, in Seattle, Kenneth Farrow is the running back. He had a good performance in the AAF, which is a good indication to me that they will like him and will use him. He was the one of the top rushers in that league. They spent good draft capital on him. So I like him quite a bit going in. Uh, I think Cameron Artis Payne is another really good example. He's been a guy that's been clearly good enough to be in the NFL. He played numerous seasons in the NFL. Um, and Lance Dunbar, we've seen, is a little bit banged up. So if Lance Dunbar isn't available to play, I think that Cameron Artis Payne will be heavily used for them. So I think those are two of my more favorite running backs. But I definitely think with running backs, like I said, we're going to want to look as the season goes along what teams don't rotate their running backs heavily and how running backs are utilized in each team. Uh, any idea of how to even go about selecting a defense here? Like if you think that one team is going to play the air raid and they're going to be passing a bunch, even if you take the players from that team, you're just like, well, I might get a pick six the other way. Like why not just stack against the team that's throwing all the time? Yeah, I think that's definitely a good way to approach it. Um, I think at least for me for week one, I'm going to go about defense as they're all very similar. So for example, I'm unlikely to pay 4,700 for the Renegades defense, whereas I could pay 3,000 for the Dragons defense. And that's more going to come down to the fact that the defenses are going to be priced like the Vegas odds are indicating. And I just don't think the Vegas odds are going to be correct uh, going into week one. So I think you definitely would rather focus on teams that are going to be more pass heavy. However, the entire league, I think, is going to be more pass heavy. Even the teams that we think are more run heavy, they're still going to be pass heavy offenses. So I think that going into week one, I'm going to generally be spending whatever is allotted to me once I'm done making the rest of my roster at defense. Um, So if I had unlimited salary to play with for my last flex spot, where do you think the proper way to go with that would be? Like just the one guy, regardless of stacking or situation that I need to go to. I really do like Sammy Coates. Uh, I think he's in a really good spot for the reasons we talked about. And then if there's another guy that I think could be very interesting, it's Keenan Reynolds. Uh, Reynolds, we think, is going to be second on the depth chart in Seattle. And this is going to come down to the double forward pass rule. We aren't entirely sure how the double forward pass rule is going to play out. I have a feeling it's going to be heavily utilized in something like a jet sweep where a player comes around, gets the shovel pass from the quarterback, and then as they're running to the other side, the other team can't catch the can't go after them because if they go after them, that player is still eligible to throw. So if we think Keenan Reynolds is the second receiving option on Seattle, and then he also has the possibility to be a gimmick type player, he could be a really, really interesting GPP type target because he could be a guy that maybe takes three or four carries in a game, gets four to six targets, maybe throws two or three balls in a game. Something like that could possess a lot of value. We don't know exactly how it's going to play out until we see the league progress, but I think something like that's very interesting. 
So are there any other like weird, you talk about like the kickoff rules, the punt rules, the double pass rules. Is there any other like weird just gimmick rule that's in play that you think that could actually affect the fantasy scoring? Like instead of the extra points, like going for two or three or whatever it is. I think that affects the league a decent amount with the extra point conversions with the one, two or three point pass in the NFL. When you have a touchdown score, the kicker is kicking the extra point majority of the time in this league, every single time there's a touchdown scored, there's going to be a one, two or three point uh, extra point try, which is going to be very heavily skewed towards the pass because the five and 10 yard rule is going to be a pass more than likely. And even at the two, you're more than likely to pass. So all of a sudden, when you add these in, it adds extra points for the offensive players to get, especially the quarterback. A quarterback touchdown is worth four points. If all of a sudden you have a you have five three-point tries a game, that adds a lot of potential points for that guy to go ahead and get throughout the game. So I think that's a big gimmick and really helps the quarterbacks, especially in terms of getting extra points. Uh, anything else you think we should know about selecting our player pool? Like, when I play the Thanksgiving slate or even one of those fun Saturday NFL slates towards the end of the season, there is somewhat of a strategy of trying to get your sleeper out of the way or your lower price guy out of the way in the very first game. Then you can late swap your roster onto the chalkier plays from the later games and tell your story that way. And then you can keep up with the Joneses as everyone tries to catch you in the standings. Do you think there's anything like that in play here or is there just too much unknown? I think there is definitely the possibility to play your cheaper own guys early. Uh, we talked about DC and what we think is going to be the possibility of receiver. I think you can definitely go into it and play Tompkins and play Malachi Dupree in that first game of the slate and then adjust your roster as the weekend goes on. Um, most of the weekend is going to be heavily involved with tweaking your lineup, especially if you're involved in a GPP and you have the ability to change your lineup properly after every single game which is a huge edge if you're actually spending the time to do that so if you want to get some cheap options out of the way for example if you play Dupree and Tompkins and I'm not saying play both of them in one line but if you do play both of them and then let's just say you punt your defense with the cheapest defense all of a sudden you can literally play whoever you want so if you sit there and you're like I want to play Cardell Jones I want to play Christine Michael I want to play Mikhail McKay I want to play Sammy Coates you can do all that and have 1600 left over. So if you play even just one of Tompkins and Dupree after that first game, you really put yourself in a position where you can play from a position where you can play anyone virtually the rest of the weekend and adjust accordingly. Did you see the report that came out that the XFL is going to encourage their broadcast team to discuss things like the spread or the over-under during the game? Because I feel like that's awesome for the state because the best thing that ever happened about the XFL the first time around was the NFL basically ripping off the two or three really good things, especially you know the, the Zoom camera that's like hovering over the field. Uh, that was like the greatest thing the XFL had. The NFL took it. So I think if this goes well, we could see that trickle over into the NFL. I had Brad Evans on a few weeks ago, and we talked about the different ways to incorporate gambling into the actual broadcast that you know maybe by week three, if this is going well, we'll see Chiron's on the screen of, oh, you know, the, the odds on here are the live odds of the game. Here's the live win probability of the game. What are the odds of the result of this drive? Punt, field goal, touchdown, that kind of thing. But doesn't this have the ability to go really wrong if the broadcasters aren't informed enough to talk about this? 
Yeah, and I think that's a really, really great point. And I think everything you said makes a lot of sense. I think with their partnership with DraftKings that they announced earlier today, DraftKings especially is going to have the incentive to get them to talk about fantasy, get them to talk about betting as much as possible and drive traffic to the DraftKings website. However, I think that if the broadcasters are not properly schooled in the area, it's going to look really bad, which I think we would both probably agree the likelihood of them making sense and being extremely logical about it is unlikely. Uh, it just feels like it's not a situation where they're going to be properly versed in it, which could hurt it. However, them embracing betting and the fantasy world, I think, is great. And that's the best way, in my opinion, for leagues to go about things right now is to embrace everything. People betting on your game is great. And I think that it's a great step towards that, even in the NFL and other sports. Well, that seemed to be one of the biggest problems with the AAF was that it's not necessarily that they didn't incorporate gambling or embrace it. It's just they weren't overt about it. And like you mentioned, if people are gambling on the game, chances are they're probably going to be following the game or watching the game. Exactly. Like, for example, if I have $20 on two kids running down the street and I'm <laughs> going to watch that, that race because I want to see if I win my $20. It's the same thing in this. If you have $20 on the spread of the game you're going to watch that game you're going to be intrigued by that game whereas if you don't have money involved you're not going to be super involved because let's let's be honest about it if you don't live in one of these eight cities where there's a team you really have no incentive to watch the league other than to bet on it so if betting is being embraced and fantasy is being embraced it's a much more higher likelihood that people are going to be interested in your game and involved not to mention if you look at uh, interactions on social media there's so many more interactions in social media that are pertaining to betting and fantasy. If you see a player, let's say on a Sunday, get injured in a game, you go on Twitter and you search that player's name. All you see is people talking about their fantasy teams and how it hurts them for the week. All people want to do is have the involvement with the game, and this does that. Do you think that we're going to see something more than middle school teachers who write about wrestling actually covering this stuff? Because there's going to be a huge edge here for good information. So it would seem to me like if you were a mid-tier reporter, even a low-end reporter, that like especially if it was like NFL or even if you're in one of these cities, like if you're Seattle and you're like the new beat reporter for the new hockey team that's coming up, and that's basically all you're doing at this point. Like the athletic could really invest into this, I would think, or maybe there's another organization that wants to come up and try to galvanize some journalist to really get an inside scoop that you could probably sell that information if people get into this. Yeah, if, if the league takes off, I think there's definitely an opportunity for that to happen. I think what we're going to see is the first year, it's going to be a wait-and-see approach, but it's a good situation, right? Like that guy that is a middle school teacher, all of a sudden he has the potential that if this league really works and he does a very nice job and people like him, all of a sudden we're looking at this next year and we're not talking about that guy's middle school teacher, we're talking about him as a beat writer for the athletic. So I think it's definitely a good situation, but I think it's more of a situation for people to make it their own. And like you said, someone can go out and they can sort of make this their own. And if you are putting together the information and people deem it to be valid and worthwhile, and this league takes off, you're in a great position to put yourself forward next year. 
and especially like for different content sites that are starting up like i know that a few places were looking for feeds from the xfl to generate a product to create a game and they were having issues with that now maybe DraftKings becoming the official partner of the xfl a lot of that is exclusive to DraftKings. i don't really know the dealings of the contracts but it seems to me that like trying to get ahead of this whether it works or whether it doesn't work i mean that's a gamble you might have to take but if you did take that gamble right now it seems like there's sizable upside if this actually can work yeah the upside's really pretty large because we've talked about the sizing of the gpps and stuff already and now this is different than what the sports betting world is going to be but if we're talking that this is bigger than preseason nfl preseason nfl is pretty big if this becomes something that is the equivalent of let's say preseason nfl there's a ton of room for some people to take off within this industry within this league that you'd be foolish not to put yourself in that position for example the first year you might have to put in a little bit of effort and you might not get paid properly or you might not get the funding that you'd want but it might be a investment into your future that could be worthwhile yeah i I can only really speak to myself when it comes to this but like when i started doing golf like fantasy golf and then talking about gambling on golf i mean i started that 10 years ago and i really kind of hammered home on it six seven years ago and really put out this product and no one was super interested and i was i've been sort of grandfathered into a lot of this when golf took off i mean that has nothing to do with me i just happened to be in the right place at the right time and i was the person covering this i think if someone wanted to do that for the xfl and obviously the pga and golf is a very established product it just needed something to bring it over to the edge to bring a new group of people into it but I mean, football is popular. Football is the most popular sport in America. So there probably is room. It's not going to be as big as the NFL. It's not going to be as big as college football. But if it's bigger than the arena league, then there's a lot of money to be made for someone. Yeah, definitely. And I think what you just said makes so much sense. You were the right person at the right place at the right time. Someone's going to be the right person at the right place at the right time for this. So if you're that person or you think that it could make sense for you, you should be doing that because it's a 10 week investment. I think we both in our lives have done things that have taken way more than 10 weeks of investment of our life. If something like this can propel you towards your future, that you'd be foolish not to take it. Yeah. As uh, my friend, Tim Andercast always said is that the best thing you can do is just be the person who's standing at the back of the train when they're throwing out all the money. Exactly. But you got to be standing there. You can't just be at home sitting on the couch. You got to actually be standing there. So just showing up and doing the content to begin with, even if it is a bit of investment on your part or, you know, it's time that is unpaid. Fuck, I worked in this industry for three years without getting a cent to my name. Uh, I'm glad I stuck with it, but I can see why people wouldn't want to do that. Uh, and you need to you know, work overtime at your other job and come home and hammer down on this. But like you said, it's a 10 week investment. And if this does work, especially with think about the major. OK, we just talked about the broadcast. If the broadcasting sucks incorporating gambling and they want gambling to be a big part of this, if you are a decent like decent broadcaster and you have experience doing play-by-play uh, and you have experience knowing the terminology of gambling or at least being able to interpret what it means and articulating that into a way where people who don't know what it means can figure it out very easily, like you could be in the broadcast booth next season working for yep. Fox. Yeah, well, and you look at ESPN. ESPN's covering this. Fox is covering this. Let's say you're the best beat writer in the league and you're covering a plethora of teams. All of a sudden, next year, ESPN looks like, man, we really need some more coverage on this. All of a sudden, you're writing for ESPN or you have some sort of gig with ESPN or Fox. 
this is not outside the realm of possibility after this season. And if, listen, if you want to get, I'm sure the XFL isn't turning people away from covering their teams either. Like if you want access, or even if you want to get reps interviewing players or understanding how football practices work, because someday you want to be an NFL reporter. I think this is a great way to really get it on the ground floor of just getting easy reps over and over. Yeah, it seems like they're very open with everything involving uh, access and media. So I think there would be a really easy chance for you to be able to get involved with the team and they're not turning away anyone from what I've been able to tell. They want as much media and as much uh, about them being broadcast as possible. So if you're uh, someone in one of these towns and you're like, hey, even just let's say you want to go to the games for free. All of a sudden you cover them, write an article a week. You get some media passes. You go to the games. You get an interview with a player. Win-win for all people involved. So I think that it's definitely a situation where. Uh, they're not turning anyone away. So if you're interested in it, it would be a very easy end to get into and start getting reps out for future possibilities for yourself. And you would have the ability with, we talked about the major networks that are actually going to be doing the TV broadcast of this, but I'm sure there's going to be like online radio broadcasts and a very different way of thinking, mainly because WWE is involved. We, like, we have all these over-the-top services that are going to be doing different shows or niche things on this, but the like... I wouldn't say the original over-the-top service, but everyone kind of scoffed at WWE Network when it first came out as a paid service, but it's doing great numbers. And the fact that the WWE is even somewhat like partially involved with this, even if it's a lot of the same TV guys coming over, the digital guys coming over, is that they will probably give a bit of a different spin to this, and those guys are going to be around. And if you want to translate that to the NFL or a different sport that you cover, I think it would just make your content really unique just getting to know these guys and see how they actually cover this because how you cover wrestling is not going to be the same as you normally cover the NFL. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, you're going to have a lot of people that have a lot of experience within all of the different industries. So these guys have their hands involved with tons of different things. It's just, it's a great way to network your way through out the entire industry, not just the XFL industry, but possible within the wrestling industry or just the entertainment industry in general. Sean, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your knowledge. I know you and Adam and is Silva going to be on it as well doing the, uh, the XFL breakdowns. Yeah, I believe Silva's definitely on for this week. I'm not sure about the future weeks, but I think he is definitely on for this week's show. So establishtherun.com, Mayo 20. Tell him I sent you when you type that in and get your membership. It's not super expensive because it's the XFL. Want to get some people on the ground floor doing this, but tell everyone what you expect Establish the Run to be actually putting out as far as XFL content goes, besides the show and the updated depth charts, which is probably just enough, but I expect that there's probably going to be more. Yeah, we're going to have uh, updated depth charts with injury news each and every week. And then we're going to do our show every week. Uh, we're also going to have hopefully a tiered uh, plays list as well during the week. So we should have a lot of really good stuff over there. And if you were involved with the preseason, you saw the stuff we put out and the content was really great. And I think it's going to be really great and leaps and bounds better than everyone else going into the XFL season as well. All right, that will do it. On the Pat Mayo Experience, you can follow me on the Twitter machine, the Instagrams, and the Facebook if you're an old at the PME. If you want to get into a draw for 100 DraftKings dollars, hit that subscribe button for the audio podcast of the Pat Mayo Experience. You can search that any platform. Five-star review, DraftKings handle something you like about this show, and you're in that draw. Winners announced on Monday. For the video, smash the like, DraftKings handle. Who do you think is going to win the XFL? That easy for a $20 giveaway 
on DraftKings. Thank you all for watching. Really appreciate it. Good luck and enjoy the first weekend of the XFL. Maybe it sucks. Maybe it's great. Who knows? But hey, don't need to find out. I'll see you next time. Experience! Experience!